Okay. Hi, everybody. This is Ari in the Air again. I'm a professional action sports athlete. I walk on slack lines really high in the air. I fly paragliders really far and do flips on them. And I flip on my skis through deep, powdery snow down big, scary mountains. But I also spend a lot of my time thinking. And I spend a lot of my life in relationship with meaningful partners. I have spent a lot of my time thinking about how I ought to behave in said relationships. I've tried to crack the code as to how I can make more deep and meaningful friendships, how I can derive meaning from all of the sports in my life. My sports really were my road to enlightenment. That is not not saying I'm enlightened. Subnote. But today I want to try my best to synthesize a huge amount of things that I have ingested, the wisdom I have ingested from the universe over the last decade and try to synthesize it into something that might help you. Something that might be able to give you a tool or eight to use in your relationships, not just with your partner, but with your friends, in your relationship to yourself, in your relationship to your work, all of these things, right? My intention is to try to give my gift to the world. And I think one of my greatest gifts is articulation and synthesis that I can take high level concepts and I can chew on them and chew on them and then I can spit them out into something that although is not always fresh and unique it is maybe articulated in a slightly different way maybe it's a new analogy maybe it's a new perspective on an old idea and it's definitely healthy exercise for me and I hope it's a healthy exercise for you. So today what we're talking about is four things you can do to be a better partner, four things you can do to curate better relationships, four things you can do to be a better person. I think that any truth that has to do with one relationship should be true for other relationships and I think these things are that. So Without further ado, let's hear some nice music. When we get back, we're going to take some deep breaths, get a pencil out. we got a lot of stuff in here. There's so many more things than four items in this, and I know that I just listed it four, and then I just am going to do a short deep dive on each of these that has a ton of subtopics and all kinds of shit. So I guess that was further ado, but here's some music. I'll be right back.
So, today, four things, four tips to be a better partner, four ideas, four concepts that you might want to think about, that you might want to chew on for a while, okay? So, the first one I'm going to say is detachment, detachment, and detachment sounds cold, but let me kind of define the detachment I'm talking about. So, First, what detachment is not. Detachment is not a cold, harsh, judgmental removal from a situation. It is not a judgmentalism that condemns and therefore removes the relationship. Detachment in this sense is a loving and healthy release of your own responsibility in so much of this stuff. All too often, we get tied up in our relationships or the the other person in the relationships needs, desires, feelings, okay? So there's a couple sub points here. I was serious about the pencil. If you really are, I, I'm so proud of you for even listening to something with a title like this podcast. And I'm honored. And if you really do want to extract as much of this as possible, then I would recommend writing some of these things down. Because to be completely honest, I have some of these things written down. Although it's very short, I have just a couple of little bulleted points. And then I'll just go off on my little rants about each thing. Right? So, deep breath in, deep breath out. There's definitely some stuff in here that's confronting It's definitely been confronting me over the last couple of years, if not the last decade, as I've been in relationship. And we'll get more into my own personal story as we go through these things. But detachment. One of the most dysfunctional, unhealthy patterns that the vast majority of us play out in our lives every single day is thinking that other people's emotions are about us. And the reality is that they are not. Even when the circumstances might lead you to believe that they're so about us, they really are not about us. And we have to incrementally get rid of this idea that other people's emotions are about us and or our responsibility. So first of all, in in detachment, you want to be detaching from your partner's emotions in a healthy way. It's not that you don't care about them. It's not that you don't hold them. But if you can't detach from them, trust me, you cannot hold them. If you cannot detach from them, trust me, they will hurt you, right? And if you're hurt by your partner's emotions, then you have become an unsafe space for them to share, right? If you're hurt by the feelings of your partner... and especially in a reactive way, then that person is likely to withhold from you. Withhold the hard things that they want to talk about that would hurt you, right? And so they just withhold them. A good example of this is attraction to other people, right? If you're insecure and you don't want to hear about your partner's attraction to other people outside of your relationship, then your partner is not going to stop having those feelings. Your partner is just going to stop telling you. And you don't want that. You don't want that. 
There are things in our lives that when a person shares their emotion, they can be hurtful to us, but they don't have to be hurtful at us, right? We can have an emotional response and we can have that responsibly without being so attached to their emotion that it's actually about us, right? So in general, let people have their feelings, their problems, their decisions, their suffering. It is not about you. You are not the fixer. You are not the solver. They are not about you. You have to detach from their feelings enough that you can love them compassionately. We all know the idea of a helicopter mom, right? That she loves her kids so much that she just like chokes them to death by smothering them, right? You have to have a healthy enough detachment that you can see the bigger picture, that you can understand the person's needs, that you can understand their desires, that you can take the time to hear them and see them for who they are, that you can actually even give any kind of response or reflection or even hold space for that person just to share their feelings in a raw way, that all starts with a shred of detachment from their emotions. And the reality is that their emotions are not about you. Okay. A couple of particular things that have to do with detachment that can arise. Okay. One thing is victimization, right? Sometimes when we hear another person's emotions, we think it's about us and we think it's not only about us, but it's at us. It's like directed at us. It's like malicious, right? And we find ourselves in a victim role that this thing is oppressing us, attacking us, right? And that victimization is a place of no relation, you have no relationship with anything if you are a victim to it. Okay, that's like a relationship destroyer. You can't be a victim. You've got to be an agent. You have to be a responsible agent. Okay, so victimization is something that you need to look out for in yourself. When something arises, do I feel like a victim here? Or is my partner expressing that they feel like I'm attacking them, right? And there's ways that we can handle this, but in general... We're just looking out for this victimization. And then the resolution often is to go back to this healthy detachment that the other person's emotions, that the other person's speech, the other person's behavior is not about me. Okay? It's not about me. I'm not a victim of this situation. This is a very difficult thing. We are conditioned to think that we are the victims. Sometimes that helicopter mom, if you don't get, if you don't start as the starting forward on the soccer team, the, your parent is like, that's bullshit. This is injustice. You're a victim of oppression. Your coach doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's just like, oh my God, we just get conditioned by that stuff. Now in the media, imagine all of the victimization of feminism and, and patriarchy and white privilege and racism and indigenous people and you're an oppressor of this and these people are victims here. That person's a victim. That's is oppression. That's a... It's just like, that is the core of what is like talked about is victimization. That is so near our, that's like a wire that's in our brains that's hardwired in there. That's like pretty deep 
in there. So we want to like pull that wire, like that we're not victims so that we can actually have agency of our lives so that other people don't control our emotions with their emotions so that other people don't control us, that our emotions don't control us. It's this healthy detachment. If you've ever sat in meditation, if you've ever taken a meditation course, there is the idea that you don't need to control your thoughts. You just need to detach from them enough that you can see them. And they come and they go. And the same thing will be true of your emotions, of your thoughts. Right? A healthy detachment. Okay? In this detachment, I also want to make another tip. This is like a sub-tip, but it's a pretty big thing. And I think it's pretty freaking wise. I heard myself say it the other day to my friend... It was something that I feel like I've been doing in my own relationship with Alicia as we work through just what seems to be like endless problems, not problems interpersonally, but like as our own shit bubbles up, we're just like playing whack-a-mole on like the various like different unhealthy patterns that we want to rid ourselves of and our relationship of. And that is that this is the idea that No one conversation matters. You can detach yourself from the outcome of the conversations with your partner by understanding that no one single conversation matters. Okay? And I don't mean that you should be dismissive. I don't mean that no conversations matter or that people can't say what they mean. No. But what I mean is that You want to play the long game. No one conversation matters. You should put in effort to hear, understand, and see the person. You want to hear what they have to say. You want to understand their feelings. You want to help them with a series of questions. You want to help them get into that. Get, feel it. Where do they feel it in their body? You want to like find out what they feel, what they're going through, right? You want to be heard in a conversation, but you don't want to fix, you don't want to convince in a conversation. Okay? That's not the point. You want to play the long game here. One conversation doesn't matter. No one conversation matters. Play the long game and zoom out, see the bigger picture, see the bigger patterns, because the patterns are influencing the individual circumstance, okay? And if you try to run around and deal with the individual symptoms of the larger pattern, then you will drive yourself insane. You'll have no efficacy. That's like taking a pill for every little ache and pain that you have and and every neurosis, every feeling, every emotion gets a different pill, a different, it's a different symptom. But the reality is you got to zoom out. And this idea of detachment in conversation with your partner, detach yourself from the idea that you need to control the outcome of the conversation. Detach yourself from the idea that you must be understood in the conversation. That will also kill you. You are going to be misunderstood. Get used to it. That's part of the suffering of humanity, okay? So both alleviate that in your partner as best you can and Forgive the world for misunderstanding you.
Okay. Detach yourself from the outcome of any single conversation. Play the long game. See the bigger picture. See the bigger patterns and deal with your relationship as such. If you are triggerable in one conversation, it will be hard for you to make much progress in a intimate relationship. You got to play the long game here. Okay. <sighs> There's more things I could say about attachment, but let's move on, okay? The next thing that I want to say that is critical in even being a partner or in even in being a human is speaking the truth. Speak the truth. And man, this goes so much deeper than not lying. <laughs> but as Jordan Peterson says, the first step in speaking the truth is, he says, stop saying things you know to be untrue. Stop saying things you know to be untrue. Because the reality is that the truth is elusive. The truth is nuanced. It is difficult. It is so impossible to put your finger on it. It is the ineffable. It is the unnameable. That is the truth. Respect that. Respect that. We all too often get way too carried away that we know anything, that we know the truth, that this is true, that this is a fact. This is what you did to me. This is what happened. This is what was said. Facts. Knowledge. Have some respect for the truth. It is not an easy thing to come across. It is not an easy thing to say. It is hard as fuck. Have some respect. Start by stop saying things you know to be untrue. That's lying. Don't lie. A next huge step is getting courageous enough to say what you actually feel. Wah, 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 wah. That's a big one. That really, really hinges on the first thing of detachment. If you have a healthy detachment and you can integrate that into your relationship, you will be and have a safe space to say what you actually feel without fear that you're going to blow everything up, without fear that, you're gonna, that people are going to be mad at you and that you're going to get harsh, reactive statements. Man, what you're trying to make in any kind of relationship is anti-fragility that the normal things that a person could say to their partner or their friend won't destroy their relationship, right? So if your partner says, I find X person attractive and you go off the rails and can't maintain your relationship, then your relationship is fragile because that's a normal thing that a person would say, right? You want to be an anti, you want to have an anti-fragile relationship. Speaking the truth is a huge part of that. You have to create this container that can actually hold the freaking truth. This subjective truth, this experiential truth, right? 
Like, this is how I actually feel. This is how I experienced that event. This is how I experienced you telling me that. This is how I experienced X, Y, or Z, right? To speak the truth means you've got to con- create a container. That starts with detachment. Get courageous enough to say what you actually feel. Holy shit, man. I'm 30 years into it. I'm a novice. I'm such a novice. It's so hard. It's so hard. And man, the more you respect the truth and more you try, the more you'll realize that this shit is an uphill battle. And it's something that we're not taught as kids. And that's a shame. We're not taught that. We have to protect our parents from our feelings. So we withhold from our parents. We withhold. Most everything, really. We withhold everything from our parents. That we want to do drugs, that we want to have sex, that we want to go out, that we don't like what they're doing, that we don't like what they're feeding us, that we don't like how they are. Anything. We don't have a safe space at home as children, so we just go out into the world and we know there's not a safe space for us because we've never seen one. And we just go out and we bottle everything up and we expect our partner to bottle everything up too. Holy shit. It is hard to speak the truth when you're raised like that. But I think we all want to speak the truth. We have an innate desire for what is true and what is real. So we want to speak the truth. Get courageous enough to say what you actually feel. And man, I hope that for you. I would say that Getting courageous to say what you actually feel. I'm going to touch on that in our next point here. But before I do that, I want to say a, a piece which is a subnote of speak the truth, which is hear the truth. Hear the truth. The reality is that what is being said is not what's being said. The words that are being used are not accurately depicting what is going on inside the other person. And I'm not saying that people are lying all the time or incapable of saying what they actually mean, but when I say that you want to learn to hear the truth, it is essentially becoming a sieve for information and experience that in one ear goes any kind of input and your brain is this giant sieve. It's this filter that takes baby in and it spits bathwater out. In an interpersonal relationship, oftentimes, especially as we're learning to speak the truth, as we're learning to detach What will actually come out of our mouths is not exactly what we mean. It's not exactly what we want to say. It's not the heart of the matter. It's not what we really feel. So hearing the truth means that when your partner says something, that you don't emotionally react, that you don't react to it, that you inquire. I feel like another big point here could be questions before answers. Questions before answers. Really digging into like what it is like 
Why do you feel that way? How do you feel? What is really being said? Sometimes you, can, you will have to infer. Sometimes you will have to take what's being said and you will have to decode it in your mind internally. And you'll say, well, I don't necessarily think that thing is exactly what's being said. I might be tracking a little bit more of the message and this kind of thing. But also, that's not, this is not an excuse to not listen to what people actually say. But it's a dedication to having a skill in determining what is actually true. It is having a understanding that sense-making is so important and that you have to develop a really keen sense-making muscle in your brain so that you can actually determine what is true, what is being said, right? Speaking the truth, hearing the truth. Okay, the next thing that I want to go to is Intimacy. Intimacy. Ooh la la. Intimacy. Intimacy is the concept of how close, how deep, how open you will allow another person into your life, into your mind, into your heart, into your experience into your body, right? Intimacy. And the hardest truth, the hardest part of intimacy in your intimate relationships is that you will never have more intimacy outside of yourself than you have within yourself. You will never have a more intimate relationship with another person than you do with yourself. So if you are willing to deep dive into your shadow, if you are willing to look really hard at your past conditioning or your childhood traumas, and you're willing to look at all of those things, then that is likely a precursor to be able to let another person into that kind of experience. But if you're unwilling to look at anything in yourself, then someone going and poking around looking to see how deeply intimate you'll let them get in your past, in your feelings, is going to end poorly. You're going to push away on that, right? So if you want to have a deep and intimate relationship with another person, you have to start to water the seeds of intimacy in yourself. How well you know yourself. This is not an exercise of judgmentalism where you go in looking for things to condemn and cut out, but rather that you go in just trying to observe and surrender. Because the backbone of intimacy in another relationship is that you basically lay yourself out exposed, that you surrender yourself in all of your flaws to the knowledge of this other person, right? It's like physically you could imagine that we wear clothes that cover up a lot of our imperfections and that total intimacy in nudity would be standing there completely naked, allowing all of your imperfections to be seen, 
right? Or maybe doing some weird headstand where you, your partner gets a really intimate look at your taint that you've never seen yourself. <laughs> I guess that's somewhere on the spectrum. But when we talk about our intimate relationships and the concept of intimacy, we see that there's a problem in dating, right? Because dating is like, we want to peacock our best selves. Peacock, like we want to tail feather our best selves. We want to show our best selves. We don't want to scare this other person away. And at the same time, we want to like begin to let them in. And it's a balance, right? Scaring a person away is like, yeah, I... You know, I have all this unresolved trauma that keeps manifesting itself as alcoholism and violence in my life. Huh. Well, why are you afraid? I'm, I'm letting you in. I want to be intimate with you. That is definitely an attempted intimacy and is pretty intimate. But you begin to not scare potential suitors away when you've spent enough time being intimate with yourself and seeing those things that you may need help with, even professionally, even psychologically, whether that's therapy or trauma work or any of these things, that you can actually have some kind of integrated intimacy, that when you let them in, they look around and they're like, wow, like you did the work to like deal with this or... If it's unresolved, then you have a intention and a direction, a vision for the resolution. You know what I mean? Intimacy. Because here's the thing. I see so many of my super sexy, incredibly talented, athletic brothers, my friends who can likely have their pick of the female population. But don't want to let people in deep. And what happens is that they take their pick and they find a really nice girl and they'll go, they'll date with them long enough to become physically intimate. But... The emotional intimacy will be limited, and when big problems arise, or even a series of small problems, the question of whether you're going to be deeply intimate and open with this person about the way you really feel, or if you're going to dump them and find a new one who you'll have another two years of relatively shallow relationship with, and rinse and repeat that cycle, right? Our option is essentially intimacy or running away. Those are on two ends of that spectrum. Intimacy or running away. Be open and let them in, deal with the things together, or run away. That will start with yourself, right? Am I going to be intimate? Am I going to look into myself? Am I going to use the tools that I can find to have introspection and 
see myself for who I am and what I am and what I need and what I want? Or am I just going to run away with that and distract myself with sports and social situations and sex and drugs and reading and work and busyness and anything else that is not doing the work? Intimacy with yourself is the precursor to intimacy in a relationship. But just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean you can't begin to reestablish intimacy in your current relationship. You can do that. You can do that. It begins by acknowledging your lack of intimacy, how you may have kept your partner out, how you may have kept yourself out, and making a commitment to being open, working on your communication, those kind of things. Yeah, that's a big one, man. That's a freaking big one. Okay. Man, honestly, the more of these I do, the more of these I could say. Like, there's more things here. Okay, number four, I'm going to call the correct commitment. I think historically we are taught that a commitment to an intimate relationship should be a commitment to the relationship's existence and duration. If you get married, there are vows where it will be forever, right? And if we focus on the forever part of that, then we're missing the point. Because if you focus on the existence, if you commit yourself to the existence of the relationship, then the quality doesn't actually matter, right? If you are committed to not divorcing and your partner is committed to not divorcing, then you guys can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want. And as long as you don't divorce, then you have some kind of success, right? It sounds awful. I had this. I did this. I did this commitment. I did this commitment. I was married. I got married when I was freshly 21 years old. And I was with her for about nine years. There's videos on my YouTube channel, Air in the Air, that kind of go through this story and my rebound from that back into healthy life. It wasn't that it was unhealthy. There were parts of it that were disillusioned, certainly. We had a fairly cordial, supportive, loving, and functional relationship, and I've learned so much from it. But we had the wrong commitment. I had this commitment to the existence of the relationship. And the commitment to the existence of the relationship, it allowed me to do things that I shouldn't have done. It allowed me to say things that I shouldn't have said, to not deal with her in a way that I should have, right? And emphasizing a commitment to the existence of the relationship is basically like saying grin and bear it, right? You don't want to grin and bear it. The correct commitment that you want in any relationship and that you're looking for in a partner is a commitment to conflict resolution and intimacy, you want 
to be committed to resolving conflicts and to be open and intimate with your partner, to let them in, to know yourself, and to be able to deal with these things as they arise, both in you and in your partner. And conflict resolution is hugely detachment, hugely speaking the truth, hugely hearing the truth, hugely not being a victim, hugely knowing that no one conversation matters and that you have to play the long game, that you're not here to immediately resolve every problem that pops up. Conflict resolution. Our parents instill in us our conflict resolution skills that we get to practice through elementary, middle, and high school where we solidify our wounds. <laughs> A terrible, terrible institution to solidify your social skills. Don't send your children to public school, whatever you do. Tangent. But the correct commitment in a relationship is conflict resolution and intimacy. A successful relationship doesn't have to be a long one. This is something I'm having to get used to because obviously I was had the wrong commitment for nine years and am now realizing as I'm two years into a really, really deep and meaningful relationship with Alicia that I'm having to let go of the idea that our commitment is to the existence of our relationship and instead the commitment is becoming conflict resolution and intimacy where I, on the daily, have to work to understand myself, to have sympathy for myself, to be intimate with myself, to know my shadow and be comfortable with it so that I can share it in some kind of integrated way with her and that when things come up between us, I can be detached enough to be a safe container for her to share what's really fucking going on and that I don't try to solve her or fix her or fix our relationship so quickly that I don't understand it and that this centered, detached, compassionate way of looking at our interactions is actually my conflict resolution commitment and that my conflict resolution is no longer you say something, I give you an answer. That it's now questions before answers. It's understanding before resolution. That's conflict resolution. Intimacy is letting them in. This is the correct commitment for your relationship. This is what I hope for you. I hope this helps. I hope this helps. I hope that if you really need some, some guidance, if you got a question, feel free to email me. I'm airyintheair at gmail.com. I've been getting a ton of feedback on these podcasts that it's helping people and it's filling me up. It makes me want to give my gift. So if you appreciate this, if you think it's something that someone else needs, send it to them. If you really want to power this whole thing, feel free to donate. PayPal, airyintheair at gmail.com. I really appreciate that. All the people who have sent in their donations to keep this podcast happening and to keep it ad-free. I really, really appreciate your support. These things are not easy, man. It doesn't happen overnight. 
But I will tell you that being intimate with someone is the most healing thing I've ever felt. Having a commitment to conflict resolution with another person who is committed to the same is the most satisfying thing I've ever felt. There's nothing more satisfying than having some huge thing bubble up that doesn't throw you for a loop, that doesn't make you berserk, that doesn't make you mad, that doesn't make you react, that you be centered, that you be a safe container, that as you hold your presence and as you are committed to the truth, that the truth effervescently comes out and the wisdom is not in your head, but the wisdom is in the relationship. This is the most satisfying shit, man. Whoa. So good. Fuck, it's so good. I wish it for you. It's what the world needs, man. It's so what the world needs. I hope it for you. I encourage you. I encourage you. I encourage you. I encourage you. I do. I encourage you to do the inner work, man. It's not super fun. I think it's a poo-covered chocolate. (laughs) It's some disgusting, repulsive, painful thing that inside is very, very worthwhile. I encourage you to grin and bear the poop part. At any rate, I honor you for listening to this shit. Thank you for listening. I really fucking appreciate it. I'm trying to give my gift to the world, and I hope you'll take that gift and integrate it into your life because that's what we need. We need integrated, wholesome people. I love you so much. Thanks. We'll see you on the next episode.
quieren quitar los dueños del mundo, los siervos del mal. El oro desde el siglo, la luz de los valles, que mueran esos ríos, es el final del sauce, es el final del sauce, es el final del sauce.